Good morning, and like Robert was saying, it's really awesome to be back in here to hear the acoustics of the music and also just to see different faces that we haven't seen in the 16 months past. So, yeah, we're really thankful that you guys are here. Um, it's really joy to be back, and my name is Brian Lee, and I'm the youth director here at New Hope Fellowship. And today I have the joy of preaching to us God's word. So, do please join me for, for that. Father, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy in our lives. Father, this past 16 months, you have sustained us. You have even brought new friends here. Lord, I know that you've been working in different families, and some really hard ways and some less hard ways. But Lord, we, we thank you for the grace that you've shown in our lives. And I pray, God, that you help our hearts to be more thankful for it. So Lord, would you speak today? Lord, these texts are so hard. These words are so hard in them. They make us fear and tremble, but Lord, we know that that kind of fear and trembling is more reverence for a holy God who loves us. So Lord, as we dive into this word, would you please speak through them? And would you help us to grasp the truth of your text? And would you help us to walk in a way that really is worthy of your kingdom? Lord? We need your help to do that. So please help us. Use your name. Amen. Uh, today we'll continue in our journey through the book of Philippians which is a letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison in Rome to the Christians in Philippi. Paul's letter serves a few different purposes, which we have gone over in the past few months through the different elders and different preachers. But before we jump into today's text, I'd actually like to briefly list a few of those reminders so that we can kind of get into the context of this story of this text. As the Philippians gathered together, and heard Paul's letter being read, they heard of Paul's thankful heart towards their partnership with him for the sake of the gospel. That's in Philippians chapter 1. They heard that Paul was praying for them while he was in jail, specifically for their growth in their love for Jesus. They heard and probably they were relieved to hear his missionary update about how the good news of the gospel was advancing as a result of his prison. And he took joy in that. They heard him proclaim that to live for him meant a life completely sold out for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of others. They heard him proclaim to die was even far better. Like to physically die was far better because that meant the full gain of being with Jesus forever. They even heard him stress his selfless desire to continue with them for the progress of their joy and for their faith in Jesus. When we read these words from Paul to Philippians, it becomes more and more evident that Paul was a man that was convinced who he knew Jesus to be, that he was convinced of the gospel of the good news that Jesus proclaimed, the gospel of salvation. The fact that Paul really believed that Jesus died for his sins, that Jesus was buried, that Jesus rose again from the dead the third day, the fact that Paul really believed that he had salvation from God is clearly evidenced 
won't you say, by the way in which Paul lived out his life. I'm not saying that he was perfect, and in fact, in Philippians chapter 3, he would also say that he's not perfect. He's, he says he's still striving for the goal of the upward call. But what I am observing here is that there is good evidence to believe that Paul truly believed what he said he believed. These are visible fruits we can observe that are the result of a life that has truly been affected by the love of Jesus, by the truth of the gospel. We can clearly see that God has worked in Paul that salvation that only God can give to him. And at the same time, we can see how Paul is now working out the salvation that he had been given. As we jump into today's text, we will press into a specific part in Paul's letter where aims to provide great encouragement to Christians by way of a stern but loving reminder to work out the salvation that God has already worked into them. At first glance, this text can be a little bit daunting and very challenging, and as I was praying, it's, it's a hard text. But when we see the love and concern which Paul is commanding in Philippians here, I hope and pray that it will do for us what Paul intended it to do for the Philippians that it would encourage us, that it would build us up, that it would cause us to take our salvation seriously. So as we work through this text, I really want to remind you that by extension, these words are also for the sake of building us up. It's not just for the Philippians. Paul is, again, by extension, preaching this word to us. They're supposed to encourage us and supposed to challenge us. And Paul's desire to give this reminder to the Philippians and to us is because we absolutely need it. We need help to keep going on through the narrow gate, which presents a way that is hard and a way that many will not find. We need encouragement from those who have gone before us and finished the race already. We need encouragement to keep pressing forward toward that goal for the upward prize. We need to be reminded to remain steadfast under the trial so that we can stand the test to joyfully receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love us. We need building up and encouragement and we need stern reminders because we're stubborn. Because it's all too easy to be fooled and enticed by the temporary pleasures of the world, the lies of Satan, and the desires of our flesh, all of which work to falsely entice us and tempt us to leave the glorious road less traveled. Join the masses through the wide gates of eternal destruction. What profits a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? My brothers and sisters, people that are visiting here today, we need encouragement in this life so we don't lose heart, so we don't eventually lose our soul, so we do not end up foolishly rejecting the one who made us, the one who came that we may have life and life have, have it abundantly. Today's message is, is pretty simple, but the implications are very big. So if you have your Bibles with you, would you please open up to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, 13 with me. Um, I'll be reading through a whole bunch of texts, and some of them will be put up here, but there's nothing better than hearing the crisp paper of the scriptures being turned or the iPhone will not. So Philippians chapter 2, 12 through 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will 
and to work for his good pleasure. As we begin verse 12, we actually find ourselves in the middle of a train of thought. And we know this because the verse starts off with the word, therefore. In order to get a better understanding of what Paul is trying to tell us, uh, or what he's trying to communicate here to the Philippians, would you turn and turn back a little bit more, actually just look up above the page probably, to Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. Um, and his word says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Given this historical event of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation, we are provided with a perfect example of what obedience looks like and what obedience leads to. In his love to save sinners, Jesus not only modeled what it looks like to humbly submit to obedience to the Father, Jesus also showed us that obedience actually led to joy. It led to exaltation. So James 4.10 reminds us this promise which says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The same that God had done to Jesus, we now can receive that through trusting Jesus. There's a reason that God tells us or calls us to obedience, and it isn't only for his good pleasure and his glory, though that's the highest aim, it's actually for your joy too. Would you believe that? Paul tells the Philippians, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. The mind of Christ was one that was set to humble obedience. Humble obedience. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand at the throne of God. I ask you again, would you believe it if I told you that there is actual joy in the obedience God calls us to? Would you believe that? Would the world believe that? Contrary to what we see or hear around us in this culture, on the news, on TikTok, Living under the authority of God is not a way that takes away the fun in life or steals our joy. Actually, humbling ourselves and submitting ourselves under God's authority, I know that word is like a negative reaction word, and no one likes to hear that word authority, but it's good. It's not only the way that we were created to live, but it actually leads to joy and will eventually work out in eternal joy. Having Jesus on our minds, we can now follow the train of thought to verse 12, which begins with the words, Therefore, my beloved. It's important to note that he's addressing his beloved, Philippians here. It's important because they are saints who were already in Christ at Philippi. He's addressing those who he believes are Christians. It's important that we keep that in mind. And by extension, as we mentioned in the beginning, if you would call yourself a Christian here today, these words are for you. If you wouldn't, I have words later for you. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
Therefore, so then, now, as a result, since you have trusted in Jesus' obedience in his life, death, and resurrection to save you from your sin, since now you have seen Jesus' model of perfect obedience, since you have seen that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, obeyed even to death, death on a cross, pick up your cross and go do the same. Paul personally knows many of those gathered at Philippi hearing this letter. He had witnessed their faith, he had witnessed their love for Jesus, and he had witnessed their obedience to God. So if Paul is addressing his beloved saints who are in Christ, Jesus, what did he mean when he said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Is he telling the Philippians here to work hard and earn their salvation by being good people? Like many world religions would tell us these days, you just got to be a good person. Is he saying that in order to go to heaven, you need to tip the balance scale of good and evil more towards the good side? Just don't have to murder anybody and then you can get to heaven? I don't think so. Is Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, said, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. Is he now saying that the Philippines have to work to achieve or obtain the gift of God? The short answer here is an emphatic no. Paul's use of the word salvation here is not used to communicate ultimate salvation from our sin, from God's wrath on our sin. Remember, that was taken care of by Jesus on the cross. We know Paul believes this because all throughout Paul's other writing, it's very clear. He knows that salvation is by God's grace, and it's through our faith in Him. And it's for sure a work of God. So what is it that Paul is trying to get at here? Why does he say to believers, to Christians, that they should work out their own salvation in fear and trembling? Why does he say that? Well, to put it simply, I think Paul is urging us, so here's a serious reminder. He's urging the Philippians to take their salvation that they have already received and to take that very seriously. To use the language of Philippians chapter 127, he's exhorting the saints who are already in Christ Jesus, already saved and secure, to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is, in the words of Joe Yoon when he preached this a couple weeks back, as citizens of heaven, if you're a Christian and you are a citizen of heaven, we are to live in a manner worthy of where we are from. We are to take the salvation that we have received very seriously. Why? Is it just because God said so? No. Why do we need to live in a way that's worthy of the gospel of Christ? Since we already have our citizenship, since we already have our passport, birth certificate, isn't that all we need? Can't we just live like what we want to? My mom's here and um, she's a Korean citizen, or now she's an American citizen, but still I feel like she's more Korean than American. Right? Same concept. Since we have our salvation from God already, why do we need to act a certain way? Is Paul being a bit harsh and legalistic here? Well, I think there are two reasons why Paul is urging his readers to take salvation that they have already received seriously, or to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. The first reason involves our relationship to a holy and loving God. Keep that in mind. Holy and loving God. The addition of the words fear and trembling here should give us a little bit of a hint of the seriousness with which Paul urges his beloved Christians to view the holiness of God. His set-apartness. He's different. He's God. As those who have come to the realization of what sin is and what sin did, 
and what it costs God to deal with our sin, it should strike in us a sense of holy fear. This isn't an oppressive fear, an oppressive fear that causes us to think that God will react impulsively in anger and take back his salvation that he gave to us whenever we sin. Instead, this is actually a healthy fear that helps us to be on guard, to be alert, not to give in because we, not, we now know that sin steals our joy. And more than that, it offends the holy God who worked to save us from that sin. We now know that God's call for us is to trust Him and obey Him, that this act is actually a healthy boundary that not only helps us to honor Him, but Psalm 19 says that it actually revives our soul to obey the Lord. It revives our soul. Have you had your soul revived recently? Therefore, we should not take sin lightly. Though we know that our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, and that's, the, that's a fact that's written in Scripture, as we, as we grow more and more like Christ, is our distaste for sin also growing? Is our distaste for sin in us also increasing? Is our understanding of God's merciful love in His commands growing? Or as John Owen famously put it in years past, are you killing sin? Or will you let sin be killing you? Be killing sin or sin will kill you. Paul in his letter to the Colossians gives a similar charge that is a practical reminder of some areas of sin that we may want to pay attention to. As we hear them, I want you guys to pay attention to this. I want you to question in your minds, am I making an effort to put this to death for the glory of God and for my own joy? So ask that yourself as I go through this list. Am I making an effort to put this to death for the glory of God and for my own joy? Colossians 3 says, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Put to death, therefore, oh, set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Alright, here it is. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Ask yourself, Am I making an effort to put my sin to death for the glory of God and for my own joy? Am I making an effort to put sexual immorality and impurity to death for the glory of God, my Savior, and for my own joy? If you're struggling with lust and pornography, are you seeking accountability with brothers or sisters to get help from them to bear these burdens with them? Are you making effort to cut off access to any site or app or device you know for sure is a temptation to sin? Are you praying to God that he would give you strength to just sin no? Am I making an effort to put anger to death for the glory of God, my Savior, or my joy, and for my joy? If you're struggling with forgiving others, 
whether they are your spouse or coworker or someone who fits the mold of a political party you despise? Are you remind, reminding yourself of the forgiveness that was given to you in Christ? Are you calling to mind that the person in front of you that you're having a heated debate with or computer screen in front of is a person that's made in the image of God? Are you praying for that person? Am I making an effort to put evil desires and slandering to death for the glory of God my Savior and for my own joy? If you're struggling with taming your tongue, are you reading the Bible and storing up God's word in your heart? For Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. So what are you feeding your heart? The methods and means that we take to fight our sins can look different between each person. Obviously, the ones that I mentioned are never you know, written in stone. But what's crucial to ask ourselves here is, are we actually struggling with our sin? When we say, oh, I'm struggling with this sin, like, are we really struggling with that sin? Or are we just saying uh, what we do and feeling guilty and ashamed for the few days, only going, running back to the source of our folly, our shame, or exact joy? And so, working out our salvation in fear and trembling is a natural, effort-producing response for someone who is being changed and renewed by the Holy Spirit to put sin to death or to obey the word of God. So that was the first reason that Paul is urging believers to take their salvation seriously, to work out their salvation in fear and trembling. God is holy, and he desires you to be holy, and he desires this for your joy, because he knows it's good for you. The second reason relates here to our relationship to the world as followers of Christ. There's a Canadian pastor named Tim Challies uh, who gives a really, really good analogy about this and explains this second reason quite nicely. Whenever Tim travels abroad, he makes sure that he has a pin of a Canadian flag in his backpack so that people can infer that he's a citizen of Canada. He goes on to say, the flag is a sign to others of my citizenship. So I need to act in a way that honors rather than dishonors it. I know that if people see the flag as I'm behaving well, that it honors my country. Or if people see the flag that as I'm doing something terrible, it dishonors my country. That flag calls me to live in a way that is worthy of my citizenship in Canada. He finishes his analogy with these words. This means there's a call on every Christian to acknowledge our heavenly citizenship and then to live in a way that is consistent with it. As we sojourn in this world as citizens of heaven, people around us are paying attention. We've got that heaven flag pinned on our backs. We're carrying our cross. In our actions, we are either bringing glory to this heavenly nation and its ruler, or we're bringing reproach. If we're professing to have faith in Jesus, does our life, does the way we behave represent the kingdom that we belong to? to the people around us, whether that's our kids in our homes, our spouses in private, our co-workers. Here's this quote from a well-known pastor from New York Fellowship, his name's J.I. The gospel should govern everything in our lives. There's no salvation that does not include a transformed life. So if, you, if your life is not being changed to be more like Christ, or if you have no desire to be changed to be more like Christ, it could mean that you've never been saved. Those are hard words, but they're meant to encourage us. 
Though it may be gradual, though it is slow, though there may be days where you give into your sin, if Christ lives in you, his likeness will be evident bit by bit, little by little, every day. Now I understand that verse 12 can be a bit heavy, and it's really challenging, it's hard. I'm sure that as I'm saying these things, it's really heavy. But I want to gently remind you that again, Paul's addressing believers here. People whom God God has already in his love saved. He's addressing those who have committed to following Christ, but have already obeyed. So if there's any thought in your mind that you don't meet up to God's standards, that you don't, that you're not holy enough, I want to actually urge you to do what you did when you first came to recognize the depths of your sin and the heights of God's holiness. Look to the cross. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Remember the gospel. Christ died for your sins. Now, verse 13 continues Paul's train of thought, and it goes on to say that as we are working out our salvation in fear and trembling, God is actually the one working in us. Isn't that good news? Let me read the two verses here together again. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If the first part that I just mentioned is meant to help us realize that we should take our salvation seriously and make every effort to live in a way that honors God and brings us joy, this second part here is actually meant to help us be assured, to have full assurance that God will provide all that we need to live in such a way he calls us to. That should provide much relief for us. I believe that Paul's communicating to the Philippians here uh, that they need to work out the salvation that God has already worked for them and in them. Oftentimes we understand that the good news of the gospel is good news because uh, it saves us from our sin, which is very true and that's, that's very important, right? But I think that comes short of what it fully delivers us because there's much more. In addition to the salvation that God has purchased for us in the work of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross, God then seals us with His Holy Spirit who helps us to continue to walk or work out the salvation that God has given to us. It's a given. It's, it's done. This kindness of God always fills me with joy when I'm weighed down by the depths of my own sin. Our God is so good that He saves us and He gives us all that we need to live a godly life. Philippians 1 states one of my favorite verses. The grace of God that started the good work of salvation in us will also bring it to completion that glorious day when Jesus returns. One day Christ will return and we will never have to fight our sin ever again. But until that day, we must. This grace will work in us both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And we take God's grace and work out the salvation He has given us, making every effort to live a life worthy of the call of the gospel. John MacArthur breaks these verses down like this. Paul means to work onto the outside what God has put on the inside and continue faithfully to live the Christian life all the way to the end until the upward call. He says, you're not working for it. You're not working at it to improve your salvation. You're not working it up like you would a fire. You're simply working it out because it's already in there. You're working it out. If God has worked into you his salvation, if he has caused you to hate sin and open your eyes to his mercy in Jesus Christ. If Christ is in you, you are a new creation. That's your new identity. That's who you are. 
So walk it out. <clears throat> work out what God is working to you. Paul's serious and weighty exhortations to those whom he loves are all throughout his writings. But you'll also notice that they usually are bolstered with God's empowering grace. So praise God for these verses like this that tell us of the both we're working and also God is working. But God is ultimately working in us as working. So Colossians chapter 1 verse 21, uh, Paul says to the saints at Colossae, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Here's our part. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, work out what God is working in you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, 21, Paul says to the Corinthians, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, away, behold, the new has come. And get this, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And so, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Work out what God is working in you. What about other saints who have run the race before us as well? So here's what Peter says. This is the last one. In 2 Peter 1, 3, 7, Peter says these very words. God's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Work out what God is working in you. Have you ever met someone who actually loves to work out? I live with one, or one that likes to run. I know Tim also mentioned that he actually likes to run. I, I think everyone is lying when they say that. <laughs> I don't think anyone actually likes to run. But uh, anyways, have you ever met someone who actually loves to work out, like go to the gym? I'm not talking about those that uh, go once a week, or even those that just go in January. I'm talking about those that actually work out and they love to get fit. I'm talking about the type of people that really have a deep, deep desire, a firmly rooted drive to get fit, to stay fit, or maybe even to help others get fit because Delamar is still recovering from her surgery. I'm sure someone comes to mind, right? Someone comes to mind. For the past few years, a few of us here at Newhope Fellowship have uh, gathered to play basketball on Sunday mornings. If you're interested, please let us know. Within the mix of people, we have a few youth group guys that uh, show up and I promise you every single week, especially this past year, they get bigger and bigger. Every single week. Just last Sunday we were, pray uh, we were playing and I noticed that Chris and Justin Yang uh, were just putting out a lot of muscle recently. I actually bumped into Justin and I touched his rock hard pecs and I was like, I asked him, I was like, Justin, I'll see you. You been working out? And he, and he said, yeah, Chris and I have been going to the gym every single day. I said, every day? 
like Monday through Friday? And he said, no, every day, like seven days a week at the 24-hour fitness. You forget to say, sheesh. <laughs> if you see these guys in church, you will notice they really have put on the muscle mass. They really have. But what you won't see is their drive and their motivation that led to them getting to where they are. The work that is difficult for them. And many weeks prior to this conversation with Justin and Chris, I always noticed how these guys would always talk about wanting to get bigger and wanting to grow taller. Almost every single conversation was about that. And you know what? The desire they have inside of them is actually being worked out and they are actually getting bigger and they are actually putting on muscle right before our eyes on a weekly basis, seven days a week at the 24-hour fitness gym. The desires they have been worked in them are being worked out and there is visible fruit, I think. And I think it brings them joy to see that. When they probably, I'm not sure they probably flex it in front of the mirror or to each other. It, it brings them joy, right? Because they're working out what's being worked in them already. And it probably brings them joy to see each other growing in that way too. So as we prepare to be here today, I really have one application point. Very simple. Let us examine ourselves with these questions that I'm about to ask. Are you working out your salvation that God is working in you? Are you, by the grace that God supplies you with, making every effort to grow in Christ like this? Are you desiring to be more like Christ? Are you, by His Spirit, killing sin? As I mentioned before, Paul's reminders to the Philippians were meant to build them up and encourage them. Is there a more loving way to encourage someone than to care for the well-being of their eternal soul? As joyful as Paul was, there was no moment that broke his heart more than when someone who claimed to be walking with the Lord fell away completely to the desires of the flesh and the world and the desires of sin, proving that they were never actually walking with the Lord. They just looked like it. As you head out, have these words in mind from the Philippians, from Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 21. Have these words in mind. Brothers, this is Paul speaking. Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you had in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is their destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables Him to even subject all things to Himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, beloved. And now, if you are here today and you would say that you're not a Christian, would you please? Take a moment to just kind of listen to what my plea is here. Would you please consider Jesus today? Both you and I, whether you believe it or not, deserve the just wrath of God because we have rejected our Creator and we have broken His good law. God made you and me to see His love, to see the boundaries He had placed in His laws to protect us, to give us joy, to give Him glory, and to love others. And in our sin, you and I rejected him. We rejected the boundaries which showed 
we would rather live our lives the way we wanted to, in our terms, autonomy. And all the brokenness you and I see in our own lives, in our relationships, in the affairs of this world, is a result of that very mindset, wanting autonomy. The desire to live in such a way that reject God's good authority in our lives is what sin is. And it's an offense to the one who not only made us, but the one who actually loves us. And when you and I go on rejecting his love over and over and over again, until the day that we die, we will actually get what we wanted all of our lives. We will actually get to be apart from God, separated fully forever. When that day comes, and it will, there will be no more chances to receive God's grace of gift, a gift of grace to forgive you and me of all of our sin. And instead, we will face the just wrath of a good God forever in hell. But the good news, hear me out, the good news that we call the gospel is this. Jesus Christ and his love for you and me and his hate for sin came into the world to live a perfect and obedient life. His obedience led him to the cross where he was crucified, and though the physical pain was one part of the suffering, and it was a big part, the worst part was the suffering he endured for sinners like you and me. On that cross 2,000 years ago, he suffered the just wrath of God on our sins. Not his, ours, he had none. He made a payment for our sins of anyone who would repent of their sin. Repenting just means to have a change of mind, a change of heart about the sin that we have and to turn away from it and to turn to Jesus in faith that his obedience, his death, was enough for us to be forgiven and saved. If you have not received this grace which was bought for us by the love of God through the blood of his own son, I plead with you, I plead with you that you would consider, I plead with you that you would consider the love of Christ for you. He did what he did so that you would not have to endure it yourself, but also so that you would have life now, have it abundantly. He is good. He really is good. You can really trust him. He's alive. Father, we thank you for your mercy in our lives. Lord, these are hard words, and I pray, God, that it would not have beaten anybody down with it, thinking that they're not good enough, and leading to you. <laughs> legalism. I pray, God, that instead that we would all turn towards you by grace, by your grace, Lord. Would you cause our eyes to see the love of Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago, his death and resurrection. Help us to see what that really meant, Lord, that it's not just something that he did to pay for our sin and that's it, but Jesus, you did this so that you can now give us your Holy Spirit so that we can walk in the newness of life. And Lord, that newness of life is not one that's a conservative life that's so uh, uptight about everything. Lord, that newness of life is a life in which you have set the boundaries for and you have caused us to see the joy that it brings. So I pray that you do that, that as we walk out of here trusting in and, and taking our sins seriously, that we would find the joy as we say no to our sinful desires, and as we turn to you and Seek your goodness. We need your help. Please help us. Thank you, Lord. Here's Jesus' name. Amen.